Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Lock and Load. Whenever soldiers are moving from a green zone into a red zone, they will hear the words lock and load. After that moment, the battle has begun. As a church, our best days are ahead of us, so it's time for us to get ready to battle and contend for the hearts of people. Our prayer is that you begin to prepare yourself as we begin to share the love of Christ with this community and the world. What's up? Y'all good? Everybody awake? Worship was good this morning, wasn't it? It's good every week. And I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad to be back. I am excited. Um, I may preach for two hours today. I haven't preached in three, so just be ready. Um, we may just roll on into the next service if that's all right with you guys. Um, but uh, anyway, glad you're here. Excited about this new series, Lock and Load. Um, and uh, we talked to a couple of our military folks before we did the series um, and, and asked them, like, when was that said? What, what, what prompted somebody to say lock and load? And they said, anytime you went from a green zone into a red zone, meaning a combat area, it was lock and load, baby. You know what I'm saying? They were ready to go. And so from that green zone to that red zone, it, it was lock and load. It was ready. It was, it was basically some of the last instruction you would get before you went into the battle. And I say that, and we named this series that for this reason. As I've been praying through the spring, as I've been praying through the summer, I really believe that the best days of um, what God is going to do in us and through us as a church are ahead. And I believe that God has some incredible things in store for us this fall. Um, and, and with that said, we need to be preparing, right? We need to be preparing all the time anyway, as any soldier would, as soldiers in God's army. We need to be preparing ourselves, allowing God to prepare us individually, allowing God to prepare us as a church so that we're ready to do and to go and to be what God calls us to be when he calls us, right? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all ready. That's good. Lock and load. Ooh, you know, come on. Got to, got to be excited about this a little bit. And, and so we're, we're looking about at this for the next four weeks, this preparation. What do we need to be doing in order to be ready? What do we need? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we get ready to go and to do the things that God's calling us to do? How do we get ready for the people that God's going to send to us this fall? Listen, not just when the college students get back, but August 18th, we're talking about moving a couple hundred people to this service for a reason. They're coming. Right? August 18th, the students are coming. They're, they're going to be here. We're going to have an awesome opportunity to minister to them. We want to make sure there's plenty of room. We believe God is going to be bringing people. But not just college students. People are starting to settle back in. This is what the Lord's been putting on. They're settling back in. They're going to get back here after the summer, after running crazy, and they're going to be looking for somewhere to settle in. Guess what? We want to have room for them. Guess what? We want them to be able to come in, hear the gospel, encounter the living God that we just sang about, experience Him, and walk out of here different. Become part of a family, a church family, that's going to go and carry the gospel and carry the light of the world forward. And so we're going to be preparing Today, specifically, we're going to be looking at prayer, and specifically, we're going to be looking at one prayer. The next three weeks, we're going to be talking about a specific prayer that I believe all of us need to be praying. You got that 20-day prayer guide um, link that's that's on your uh, announcement card. Go to that thing, man. Go to that and be praying with us in one direction. But one specific prayer, I want us to be praying over the next four weeks as we get ready to launch into another series called A Better Story. Story. It's about the story that God has for us. The prayer I want us to be praying and I want us to focus on today is this prayer. Jesus, more of you. Jesus, more of you. How many of you could use more Jesus 
in your life. I know I could, how many of you could use more hunger for Jesus in your life? How many of you could use just more of God's presence in your life? All of us. I hope all of us have a desire to have that, to experience that, to have more of Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, working in us and working through us. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today, beginning in verse 23. And and, um, real quick, I want to set that up. Basically what's happened is Jesus has has set up his church. The Holy Spirit has come, filled his believers. They've been filled with boldness. Um, But it didn't take long of them preaching the gospel and, and for things to get disrupted pretty badly. And so as they began to preach the gospel, as they began to go and do things in the name of Jesus, um, they began to be persecuted. And it didn't take but three chapters for Jesus to work a miracle, for the religious people to find out, and for them to begin to come after Jesus' disciples. And two in particular, Peter and John. And they told Peter and John, they basically said, listen guys, if y'all keep speaking in the name of Jesus and speaking about this man Jesus and doing miracles in Jesus' name, then this is what's going to happen. We're going to beat you, we're going to kill you, we're going to stone you, whatever it takes to shut you up. Do not speak in this name anymore. Peter looks at him and basically is like, listen, you judge for yourself if it's better to obey men than to obey God, but we're going to obey God because we can't help but speak of the things we've seen. That awesome? And so we come to this place in verse 23 when they've just been released from the the Jewish leaders, these religious leaders of their day. and, and, And listen to what they do. In verse 23, I just want to read this one verse and then we're going to pray. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are here, that you are alive, Lord. I pray that today you would set our hearts on fire, God. Um, Lord, uh, revive us. Revive your church. Breathe life into what sometimes feels like dead bones, Lord. Ignite a fire in us. God, we have the greatest news in the history of the world. God, let us rejoice in that and celebrate that. Jesus, we need more of you. We need more of you right now, God. We know your word promises that you are here. Let us have a great revelation of that today. Let us hear that in our hearts and in our spirits today, God, that you are here. Let us experience your presence here today. Speak to our hearts. Cut us at the core of our being with your word, with the power of your spirit. Separate anything that's in us that not, is not of you. Help us to find ourselves in you, God. Do a great work in us today, Lord. As we open your word and as we speak about the power of a people that are simply desperate for you, God, be in our midst. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, that you're here. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you, you're, you're going to be glad to hear this, but Little League baseball season is over. Um, our, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a little concerned because I don't know what I'm going to talk about as far as illustrations. Um, but, but you're going to have to indulge me one more time. Um, we, we actually went to the district championship. We actually won five games in a row. We we're, were facing elimination five games in a row. And we won all of them to win the district championship. It was awesome. 10 and under baseball. It was awesome, right? Yeah, it was good stuff. You can clap for a 10 and under baseball. It's good. Um, and, and so then we go to state. And I'm like, you know, if we just do decent at state, man yeah it'd be all right we finished second in the state tournament it was crazy we finished second and we had an awesome chance to win the entire tournament to be the number one team in 10 and under 
GRPA machine pitch baseball in the entire state of Georgia. If you narrow it down far enough, it's really not that hard. You know what I'm saying? And so we had an opportunity to do that. We had to be beat twice in the championship by a team that we had already beaten. Guess what? They did. And so that part was a little disheartening. But, but something began to happen in our boys. And one of the things that I began to see is, is a, and on the Saturday of the district tournament, it was about three weeks ago, um, something changed in them. They, they began to learn how to fight. They began to learn how to battle. They had to come back in a game um, and, and win in an extra innings. And I saw something change in our boys and, and they began to fight and they began to battle and they began to go out. And I've been telling them for really four or five months, guys, you're the best team out here if you'll go out and play up to your potential. And they began to fight and they began to battle. And they, guess what? They began to win. They begin to realize we can do this. I think sometimes that the church of Jesus has forgotten how to win. I think sometimes we, we, we've kind of gotten away from the fact that we need to battle. We need to contend for the hearts of people. I think sometimes what happens for us as Christians is we get into a place where we sort of become shocked by the battle. We go, why is this so hard? Well, anybody that's been in war understands that a battle is difficult. No soldier has ever gone into battle, had a bullet fly by their ear and go, oh my gosh, they're actually shooting at us, right? It's a battle, we're in a battle. And we're called to prepare. One of the things we did as a team, and I kind of did it just as a last ditch effort. We were on the way over to Lions where the district tournament was played. And, and every day on the bus, it got to be a pattern where one day I just decided I'm going to kind of give these guys a little talk before the game. And so I stood up and I said, guys, listen, I've been telling you for a long time, you're the best team out here. You can beat anybody that you step on the field with if you play up to your ability. How many games do we have to win? And they all said five. And I said, wrong. How many games do we have to win? They said five. I said, wrong. They said, how many games do you have to win? And finally, one little boy goes, one. I was like, yes, we got to win one game. What's the only team that matters right now? Effingham. That's right. How are we going to win one game? They said, we're going to win one game. Um, we don't know, coach. I said, one pitch at a time, boys. Focus on one pitch at a time. Get ready to play that one pitch. And every pitch, you play that one pitch. And I'm giving, I'm just going as hard as I can go, right? On this bus with a bunch of 10-year-olds. And, and I'm like, one pitch at a time, one pitch at a time. You play that one pitch at every time. And at the end of the game, you're going to like the results. And so we, they, they were all like, yeah, yeah, you know. And then it was over. And, and, and they were kind of thinking about something else. But they don't last long on any one topic. But um, I sat down and date goes, daddy. You kind of went into preacher mode. I was like, yeah, son, I got a little fired up. I'm kind of ready to go, man. Let's go get this. And so um, the thing began to happen, though, is they started telling me every day we'd be riding over or at the state tournament, whatever, wherever we were about to play. There were two things they had to do. One is pray. We prayed more on our baseball team than we prayed like in church. I'm telling you, these are some praying kids. Uh, they would not let before every game, after every game, sometimes during games. Let's pray, coach. Let's pray. All right, let's pray. And so we pray. The other thing is that they would always say, coach, what about our speech? All right, all right, all right, all right, let me think of something. And so I'd have to come up with a speech and we'd, we'd have our talk and it always revolved around one thing. Get ready for the one pitch. Get ready for the one pitch. Take it one pitch at a time, one play at a time. At that point and in that moment, the only thing that matters for you is that God loves you and that one pitch. The only two things that matter in the world at that moment. 
And they begin to prepare. And I said, guys, you're going to win this game between your ears. You're going to win this game. 90% of baseball's mental. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And if I could tell you anything, church, the thing I would tell you is that as a church, we need to get ready. We need to prepare. We need to be ready to go. Take it one step at a time, one next step at a time. We can't look five years down the road. Listen, we don't strategize everything and take God out of it. We need to be preparing one pitch at a time, getting ready, getting ready to go, being ready for whatever God puts in front of us. I was reading this passage. It was it's actually several weeks ago and been praying through it. And I, I thought I was going to preach it. Then I didn't think I was going to preach it. I thought I was going to preach it. I didn't. And then God brought me back to it. And, and I really settled in on it. And when I read this first verse, I began to realize that these people had been preparing. They were, they were desperate for Jesus. It says that on their release from being threatened by, by these religious leaders, by these Jews who had just killed their leader, they go back and listen, it says they go back upon their release. Peter and John went back to who? Their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Who did they go back to? Their own people. They went back to a people who was preparing, had been prepared, and they went back to the church. They didn't go back to just some tribe that they belonged to. They didn't go back to just blood relatives that they, they were kin to. They didn't go back to people um, who lived in the same neighborhood. They went back to a people who were on mission together. And as we think about this lock and load and we think about preparing, we need to realize that we are a people called to be on mission together, to go into the world, to battle and contend for the hearts of people, to put that ahead of everything else, that the greatest mission in our life is to battle and contend for the hearts of people. These were the people who had been prepared. These were the people who were preparing and they were getting after it. They were getting after it, getting after God. We need to realize that we're on the same mission. They were on. We're part of the same movement that began that first church. God hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed our course. We're called to go and to reach. We're called to prepare and get ready. We're called to pray. I believe this with all my heart, that prayer is the pathway to preparation. That is our preparation. If we're not on our knees, if we're not praying, if we're not seeking the face of God, if we're not desperate for God to show up, man, we're not preparing. We're not preparing the soul. We're not preparing the soul of our own hearts. We've got to be praying. I'm looking for a church, listen, and a group of people that are willing to get on their face. They're willing to beg God, if that's what it takes, to see God show up, to see his presence come. I believe that the best days are ahead. I don't believe they're behind. Listen, I believe God wants to save people. I believe God wants to heal people. I'm tired of seeing marriages fall apart. I'm tired of seeing Christians who are set free from sin, just settling in sin and going, this must just be who I am. That's not who you are. You're a child of the King. I'm ready to see a group of people finally grab hold of the fact that we've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus and we're going to get after it and we're going to go after that God who paid for us because his word says that if we'll draw near to him he'll draw near to us amen Amen. 
It's time to go, people. It's time to lock and load. It's time to get ready. And it's time to press into God. One thing I realized this week, if I tweet something, sometimes I just get bored and I tweet a lot. But usually if I tweet something, it's because it's because God's doing something in my heart, man. And, and I can't help it. And one of the things I realized this week is it is impossible to get face to face with God and not be filled with the anticipation of what God has planned. That is some amazing things planned. It doesn't mean they're comfortable, but it does mean they're amazing. And it means that we get to be a part of this incredible plan. But we're we called to be a people desperate for Jesus. This is a people who are desperate for Jesus to show up in their midst, to show up in the world. They knew the mission was too important to sacrifice. They knew that Jesus had been sacrificed, so the mission couldn't fail. And they walked with confidence and boldness moving forward. And when everything was threatened, even their own lives, they didn't run. They went to their own people. They went to the church and listen to what they did. Number two, what did they do? They did this. Number one, who did they go to? They went back to their people. Number two, what did they do? Verse 24, when they heard this, when, when they heard all that they told them, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What did they do? They prayed. How many of you would look around you and, and look at lives around you and you would see the reality that, that, that we're in desperate times. That people are in desperate need of new life. We're in desperate need of a new heart. I don't have to go further than myself to realize that. I'm in need of God to move. And you know where the revival is going to begin? It's going to begin in my heart. It's going to begin in your heart and it's going to become contagious and it's going to begin to spread. These people, though, they come together, they recognize the threat, they recognize the desperate need for Jesus. And this is what they did. They prayed. They prayed. They got on their hands and their knees or they got on their faces or they grabbed hands and they looked up to the heavens and they began to pray. God, do something. God, move. God, show yourself strong and mighty. And the awesome thing about it is they didn't strategize. Nothing wrong with strategy and planning. They didn't create another program. They didn't go, okay, they're threatening us. We should do a knitting class. They didn't do that. They didn't come up with something else that they needed to do. They didn't go and try to find something else that they had to do. They went to the one that would give them directions about what to do. They went to the one who would give them the power to fulfill what he called them to do. They didn't just come to this place of being threatened and finally they strategized, they programmed, they did all of this stuff and then they finally just went, okay. How many times have you heard this? Well, I guess the only thing we can do now is pray. Right? That's kind of our last alternative. When all of our efforts and everything that we tried to do has failed, we just kind of finally come to this place and go, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Sounds spiritual, but I believe it's like from the pit of hell, man. Come on. Our first act ought to be to pray. Our first thing ought to be to pray. When we see injustice, our first thing shouldn't be to riot. Our first thing should be, let's pray. Because God tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. When I see injustice, when I see all the hurt that's going on in the world, I don't believe that is God's kingdom having come to earth. We're called to pray out of desperation, not out of obligation. We're called to pray. 
Prayer's not some obligation that we have to fulfill. It's our act of crying out to God and saying, God, we need you. It's so funny how simultaneously when you pray to God and you seek God and you get with God, how you can be completely satisfied in God. And yet that hunger never seems to go away. It's almost like you can dig a hole and fill it back up at the same time. Does that make sense? That's not hard to fathom. It's almost like, oh yeah, this is good. This is filling me up. And then you go, I got to have more of that. And there's this desperation that they prayed and they sought. God, give us your power. Give me your power just to live today. Just to live, just to live and love my kids today. Just to live and love my kids. God, just to love my husband who's stubborn as a mule. God, just to love my wife who seems to be nagging me to hell rather than leading me to heaven. God, just give me life. You're alive and because you're alive, I can face tomorrow, God. Move in me. Do a great work in me. One of the speeches that I gave the boys is over there in, in, in uh, Moultrie. We were on the way to the field and I was like, hey, these guys, they're, they're kind of getting a little overconfident. They went from this whole thing of, man, we can't beat anybody to... I don't know if anybody can beat us. And I began to sense that. And so on the way over to the field one day, I stood up and I, I told them a little story about um, when I played. And I said, guys, when, when I was just a little bit older than you, I was a pitcher. And I went to the ball field one day and, and I told some people who were there, I said, I'm going to throw a no-hitter today. And they're like, you are? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw a no-hitter today. It's kind of like, I got this. A little, little, little cocky. A lot cocky, actually. But I'm going to throw a no-hitter. And they're like, really? Okay. <clears throat> All right. And so we go out there. I gave up two home runs and lost the game. All right? And here's the reality. At that age, I was probably capable of throwing a no-hitter. But here's the thing, and this is what I told them. Guys, I wasn't good enough to just show up and throw the no-hitter. And you're not good enough just to show up and win these ball games. You're good enough to win them. But you're not good enough just to show up and win them. Somehow, I think the church at times, and, and really in our day and in our culture, either we've lost sight of the mission or we think that somehow we've got so good at doing church that we can just show up and win. And that's not true. The church empowered by God is unstoppable and cannot be beat. Jesus said that. Look at the last 2,000 years. It's evidence of that. But the reality of it all is this. We can't just show up and think that we've got church down so good that we got church nailed to a T that we can play songs and we can do videos and we can show testimonies and we can preach and we can get excited and we can tweet and we can blog and we can do all these things and think that for one second, anybody's heart is going to change. The only way people's hearts change is when God moves and we need to be a people who is desperate for more of Jesus, for God to move in our hearts and for God to move in the hearts of others. Are we church? Are we desperate enough? Do we desire it enough to get on our faces before the Lord? To ask, to beg, to plead, to say, God, believe your word is true. That we'll humble ourselves. We'll pray that you'll hear our prayer and you'll heal the land. Are we willing to pray? Are we willing to contend? Are we willing to battle with the hearts of people? To pray believe this that prayer is simply being in a relationship with God 
It's not part of our relationship. It is the relationship. It is our communication. It's our communion. It's what happens when we read his word and we read it prayerfully and we begin to hear God speak to our hearts. Prayer is a conversation between us and God. It's a two-way street. God still wants to speak to you. God desires to lead you. Prayer is not where we go to give God directions. Prayer is where we go to receive directions from God. Where he downloads who he is into our hearts and into our lives. He begins to move us. To be more in his image. Prayer is a pathway to preparation. Listen to this. I believe that one of the things that he's preparing us to be is his bride. So we become desperate for him and we pray and we press in and we're in his word and he's teaching us and showing us. And and I hear this all the time. Well, I can't understand his word. Listen, I read this book to my seven-year-old. He understands it. Listen. Eat and live on the parts you understand and study the parts you don't. But don't cop out on God's source of life, His living word, the thing that shapes us into His image, how we commune with God with an excuse of, I don't understand it. Make time. And He's preparing us and shaping us to be His bride. He's preparing us to be His church. He's creating us in His image. I think about when Moses would go and he would pitch his tent outside the camp and and he said when he would would come out he would the glory of God on him he goes up on the mountain and he meets with God and he comes down and wears a veil because the glory of God shone on his face I believe prayer and communing with God is the conduit by which God's glory begins to infuse us and shape us and prepare us to be his glorious bride it's God's preparation not just for what we're going to do today but it's preparation for what we're going to do tomorrow listen these people had been prayed up this wasn't the first time they had prayed you look over in acts 2 they had devoted themselves to prayer when this threat came they didn't have to scramble to try to find god they knew god they were in a relationship with god god's preparing us today for what we're going to face tomorrow he's preparing us today for who we're going to talk to tomorrow are you preparing are you ready are you getting ready for what god wants to do in your life are you getting ready for what god wants to do in this church are you digging a deep well that you can drink from that god's living water flows from to fill you up and overflow from you are you desperate for god have you prayed jesus more of you more of you god He's creating his bride. He's shaping us. He's preparing us to be a glorious church filled with the fruit of the spirit, his character and integrity. He's teaching us who he is and he's showing us who he is. And he's placing that in our hearts when we cry out to him, we go after him. Second thing I believe he's preparing us for is this. He's to fulfill his purpose. He's preparing us to fulfill his purpose. He's getting us ready to go. He's showing us what his purpose is. And I believe this with all my heart. When you have a church that has been shaped into the image of God and you have a church that's heart has been set on fire for the mission of God, then we become able to give the world a clear representation of the gospel of Christ and the love of God. We've got to be preparing and getting ready to do and to be what God has called us to be. Listen to this. What did they pray? This is the third thing. What did they pray? Look down in verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word 
with great boldness. What did they pray? God, let us speak accurately. Let us speak clearly. That's what that word for boldness means. It didn't just mean that they were with a bullhorn on the corner, just yelling and screaming. It actually meant let us speak it with confidence and with boldness. Let us declare it, God, and let us declare it accurately so that people can see it. If we're living it and we're speaking it and and God's spirit is infusing it, we can declare it accurately listen to the next verse stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant jesus they pray for boldness to declare it they pray that god would do miracles in their presence i wonder today why is the church so afraid to ask god to do miraculous things i believe most of our prayers today are insulting to god we don't ask for big things. We're, we're almost scared. It's almost like, what if he doesn't? He's big enough to handle that. We should be a church that prays big things. God, we started out this church. Listen, we started out and we said, if God does something incredible, we can reach 2,000 people with the gospel of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. Let's go 2,000 people for the, with the gospel of Jesus. We can do that. We can do that. We went over 1,000 in four and a half years this past spring. I think so many times we undershoot what God wants to do. We're willing to pray big prayers, miraculous things that God would do, incredible things. Are we willing to say, God, stretch out your hand, touch our hearts, touch our lives, do what only you can do, Lord. Do miracles, change Statesboro, Georgia, flip it on its head, change the world from Statesboro. I'm just crazy enough to believe that. Just crazy enough to believe that if we'll grab hold of this mission that God's given us and we'll quit sitting on the fence and we'll get on one side or the other and we'll begin to go after God, that God will do crazy, amazing, awesome things in our midst. We have seen crazy, awesome, amazing things happen already. But I honestly believe we've only scratched the surface of what God desires to do. Come on, church. He's called us to something bigger. He's called us to something better. The best days are ahead. And when we become desperate for him and he does something great in us, he's going to do something great through us. I believe that with all my heart. Are we willing to be desperate to cry out more of Jesus, more of Jesus. There's one thing that is obviously missing from this prayer that they prayed. They began the prayer acknowledging who God is in verse 24. They acknowledge that his plans are going to work. They acknowledge that everybody else's plans are going to fail in verses 24 through 28. And then they say, Lord, remember their threats in boldness. Give us boldness to go and just preach your word, to proclaim it. Give us your hand, God. Put your hand upon us that miracles will be done, that you would be glorified. And there's something that's obviously missing but easily overlooked. And that is this. Nowhere in this prayer did they pray for comfort. Isn't that crazy? I just had my life threatened I'm like oh God stretch out your hand and kill them right but nowhere in this prayer did they pray for comfort I don't think it was because God would be insulted by their prayer for comfort and in other places in scripture we're told to pray for we're told to pray Lord you know take cast our anxieties 
upon Him. Cast all of our burdens upon Him and He'll give us peace. It's not that that's something wrong, but they were so focused on the mission that at this point they're praying, God, we realize these threats, but this is what we're asking. Not that we would be comforted, not just for our protection, God, but that your mission continues, that you continue to reach people and save souls. It's not about my comfort, God. It's about your kingdom. And whatever it takes, Lord, to have more of you, not just in me, but in this world, this is what we want. We want God more of you. Come, God, and do what only you can do in the hearts and in the lives of people. It's so funny to me. I have people come to me, especially people that just get saved. You ever been around somebody that just got saved? Borderline obnoxious, right? It's awesome. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything's it's so awesome to be around them. They're just like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, and, and, and they're so excited. And a lot of times I'll have people who just get saved and they come to me and they're like, we need to go back to the Acts church. We got to be like the first century church. I'm like, all right. I heard somebody say this other day. It's like, okay, they didn't have Bibles, right? They sang to music very, very different from ours. Um. Like, what are you really saying in that? Because here's the reality of it. We can go back to the Acts church, and that's great. And I believe in our own context, God has called us to be like the Acts church, not so much in, in, in different, uh, like, outward areas of their life, but in the inward spiritual reality of the power of God. But here's the thing I realize about the Acts church, and here's the thing I would challenge you with. If we really want to be like the Acts church, where we're seeing 3,000 people get saved in one day, where where in just a few weeks, the number was up to 5,000 people because God was doing such incredible work among them. If you really want to begin to see God do miraculous things, we need to look at what this entails because God calls us to not worry so much about our comfort, but worry more about his kingdom. And I believe that probably 90 to 100% of the prayers we pray are more focused on our comfort than they are his kingdom. And I believe that God is calling us to come to a place where we are willing to trust him with our comfort and go after his kingdom. But listen to this. In the very first chapter of Acts, their leader's taken away, right? Their leader's gone. Jesus ascends to heaven. So the first thing they deal with, the leader's gone. Second thing, they have a crazy experience with the Holy Spirit. Such a crazy experience like no one had ever seen before that they get accused of being drunk. So there's an accusation that flies in the very second chapter. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes They're accused of all kinds of things. And the funniest thing about this accusation is this. Their only reply and their only response to the fact that they were not drunk was that it was nine o'clock in the morning. They never said like, you know, we wouldn't do that. But it couldn't be true. It's only nine o'clock. Come back at three, right? I mean, it's almost what it sounds like. But it's like, no, it's nine o'clock. We're not drunk. But they're being accused early on, early in the morning. They're being accused or early on in the mission. It goes on. In chapter 3, they heal a beggar. And then they begin to be threatened. Chapter 4, they get together and they begin to pray. And we hear people say, all right, we want to go back to the first. We want the power of God in the church. But in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira get killed because they didn't bring all of their offering to the church. The apostles get persecuted and Acts chapter 6 and 7, there's a great persecution that breaks out. The church is scattered. In Acts chapter 8, 
You begin to see where where Philip goes and the gospel begins to spread because of the persecution. Acts 9, the craziest dude in the history of, of, of Christian persecution, Paul himself, gets saved. And then he starts wanting to talk to Christians. And the Christians are like, we don't want to talk to this dude. That guy kills Christians. I mean, crazy things were happening. In chapter 10, Cornelius calls for Peter. And, 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 and he goes, and Peter goes and speaks to this man, Cornelius, who was, was a, a Gentile. He gets saved, and there's this crazy um, possibility for a racial divide to take place in the church because the Jews thought that they were the chosen ones. And if Peter had not had a vision and had so much influence with the apostles, it could have split the church. What I want you to see in all of this, and you can go all the way through all of these chapters and mixed in and interwoven with all of these chapters, is this reality that the church was persecuted. People were beaten. People were being killed. And yet the mission was so vital. They were so bought into it. They were so desperate that Jesus become great. In the world, they were so desperate that he would become great in their own lives that they were willing to endure it all. They were willing to move forward. They were willing to keep going. I wonder, are we at that place where the kingdom is more important than our comfort? Are we willing to cry out Jesus more of you knowing that it comes with a cost? Grace is free, but it is not cheap. We're called. To sell out, to go all in for him. This is the thing I can tell you. My own heart is convicted. But I can tell you this also. I want more of him. I want more of him. I want a people that will pursue more of him. That at the end of the day, what we want is more of him. That our, our wins and our losses are not decided. At work or on a ball field or at a dance recital, but they're decided by how we impacted the kingdom. How have we brought heaven to earth? The last thing I would tell you out of Acts chapter 4 is I want you to look at what happened after they prayed. In verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the thing I, I believe with all my heart. I believe God. When we pray from our heart, God, I need more of you. I need more of you, God. I want to draw close to you. This is what I know in my heart. God answers that prayer. God answers that prayer. The Bible promises that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us church we need to draw near it says that when they began to pray that the place where they stood the place that they prayed was shaken it was shaken and i can tell you this this is what i'm praying guys this is what i'm praying church that we would be shaken at our core that maybe we think we know Jesus, maybe we've been satisfied in him but listen that there would be a holy um satisfaction and yet unsatisfaction that consumes us that makes us want more of him that makes us look at our lives and say god anything that's keeping me from knowing you more i'm i don't want it god if it's keeping me from knowing you jesus please cut it off 
whatever it is. Lord, remove it from my life. If it's a relationship that I got to do something with, remove it, God. If it's what I watch on television, God, I'll throw it in the yard. If it's my lack of patience, God, work in my heart to give me patience with my wife. Give me patience with my husband. Give me patience with my kids, my boss. God, work in me. I need you, Jesus. We need more of you. I'm shocked at times of the lack of repentance in our lives. Still where our mind is so set on the world that we continue to walk away from God. Never coming to this place of repentance and saying, God, I'm throwing this to the side and I'm coming after you. And that's not a popular message today because what the world wants to tell you and what most churches want to tell you is this. You can have the world and you can have Jesus. The only problem with that is what the Bible says. You can't have both. And I'm just going to love you enough today to tell you this. Whatever it is that's got you straddling the fence, today's the day that you get rid of it and you get on your face and you hit your knees and you say, God, no matter what, I need more of you. Take my life, whatever it is, take all of me, give me more of you. Awaken my heart, Lord. Give me life. Give me strength. What I need is you, Jesus. I don't need another program. I don't need another Bible. I need you, Lord. I need you. What is everything that we do if it's void of the presence of God? It is nothing. It is empty. And many of our lives are empty today simply because we haven't come to a place of laying it down at the feet of Christ. That for many of us, myself included, there are times that we lay it down only to pick it back up. And Jesus is saying, don't you know that I am the way, that I am the truth, that I am the life? You're not going to find that anywhere else. Won't you just rest in me, child? Won't you just come to me? Won't you see that my arms are open wide for you, that I love you, that I gave my life for you, that that's all I really desire from you is for you to come and be in my presence, for me to speak to you and for you to speak to me and to let me be your God and that you would be my child. Come on, church. That's a good and awesome God. But when will we get real with him and when will we quit playing games and when will we come to a place where we just lay it all down at his feet and we say, God, I've got to have you. I want more of you. Church, I don't want to play games. I do not want to play games. I want the living God present in this house and I want him present in your life. And I'm tired of watching all the bull crap that goes on in church. And what I want to see is a people to get real with God, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, to quit caring what other people think and to say, one thing I know is that every morning when my feet hit the ground, I'm going to pursue the God with all that I have because he gave all to me. That's what he's called us to. He's called us to him. That's what he wants. I told our boys after the state championship game, and I prayed that morning, I said, God, give me the best platform to tell them about you. Win or lose, whatever it takes, God, I want them to hear you. They're all crying. I'm, I'm over there almost in tears. I start to tell them how much they mean to me and how much I love them. And I can start choking up. I can feel it. You, know, you feel it coming right here. Because I love them. I love them like they're my own. And I started telling them about it. And I took a baseball and I said, guys, I want you to understand. And I had this conversation with my own kids. I said, boys, you need to understand something. This is not our God. 
I held the baseball up and I said, because at 18 or at 40, you're going to have to walk away from your God if this is your God. And I said, you might have lost this game, but if you're in Christ, you have victory and you win. And we walk to the van, not as people who have, have, have suffered defeat, but as people who are victorious in Christ. Don't you worship this? And I told my own kids, and some of you are going to not like this. I said, this sucks as your God. Because everything else will let you down. Jesus won't. Guys, we, we, we got to come to a place of seeking Him, wanting Him more than life, more than breath, more than anything else. This is what I know. We pray that prayer, Jesus, more of you. We pray it as a church. We pray it as individuals. We, we pray it as the body of Christ. He's going to answer that prayer. This is what I want to tell you today. Listen. Today, the opportunity is for us to get on our face and to cry out for God in our own heart and to cry out to God for other people around us. For some of us, we need to come to a place of repentance, of separating ourselves from what's hindering us from running after Jesus. And that's what we're going to do right now. Some of you, you don't know Him. You, you've never known Him. You've never known Jesus. You, it's foreign to you to think about the goodness of God you've never experienced. Today you can. This is what I'm going to ask. We're about to sing a song. During that song, man, we need to be on our face. We need to be crying out to God. You can come down here. You can get on your face. You can do whatever you need to do. Say, God, I need you. More of you, Jesus. And for some of you, you need to come to a place of salvation got our, one of our prayer people, John Morris, right over here. And there's going to be a couple of others. I'm, we'll have people over there to meet with you. If you're in a place today that you need to come to a place of salvation, Mr. Frank, Ms. Joan, they're going to be there. You quit playing games and you go over there and you get it right with God. You declare today, God, I need you. For the first time in my life, I let down my guard and I need you. And they're going to help you take your next step. It's one step at a time, one pitch at a time, guys. One pitch at a time that we're going to go and we're going to change the world for Jesus. But for some of you, your next step, your first step is a relationship with God through Jesus, the one who gave it all, who gave his life that you could have life, who took your sin upon himself, died on a cross so that you could be forgiven. We want to introduce you to that God today. You don't know him. We start to sing this song. You go and you go meet with him and you go meet with them and let them pray with you. The rest of us, man, we need to come to a place where we ask and plead with God, God, we want more of you. We want more of you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you, God, that you came to us that we could know you, Jesus. Pour out your heart in us, Lord. Let us meet with you face to face, God. We come to repent and we come. God, just say we need you more than anything else. Prepare our hearts, God. You always do something great in us before you do something great through us. Work in us, God. Make our one desire be for you, Jesus. We love you, God. We praise you. I'm going to ask you to keep praying. Listen, you be praying. If you're, if you're, if you're saved, this is what I want you doing right now. I want you praying for anybody in this place right now who doesn't know the Lord. Who doesn't know the Lord that God would speak to their hearts. 
And this is what I'm going to ask. While you're praying, I'm going to ask you all, if you today came into this place and you realize I did not know Jesus before I walked in here, but God is knocking on the door of my heart and I want a relationship with this God, with Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know God and I'm coming as my, with my life as a blank check. God, you take it and you do and you write on it whatever you want to write on it because God, I've counted the cost. My way doesn't work and I want your way. Then today, this is what I'm going to ask you to do is to be very bold with every, everybody's praying for you. I'm going to ask you, will you stand up right now? You need Jesus. You've never known Jesus. I'm just throwing it out there, guys. You don't know him, but today he's spoken to your heart and you want to know the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who is alive. Will you stand? It's a bold step. Jesus took a lot of bold steps to the cross. Amen. You keep praying. 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 God, move in people's hearts today. God, move in the 11 o'clock service. You keep praying. Anybody else? You know today that He's spoken to your heart. It goes beyond our comprehension. So move in the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask this gentleman, would you come down and let them pray with you? And Ms. Ruth, will you, will you bring him down? Let's let us pray with him and help him take his next steps. God, we thank you for this opportunity we have now to come and to get face-to-face with you, God. Thank you that that doesn't stop when church is out, but that, that it continues. We love you, Father, and we praise you. And we're going to praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.